And, and Sarah, where I'd like us, us to begin, and I'm just, I've got my notes in front of us from our previous conversations. You and I said, let's commit to not drifting away from what matters, you know, at, at, at the end of the day within organizations are business outcomes. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about it from, purely from a profit perspective. Business outcomes could be defined in many different ways, but let's begin there. So maybe kind of share your point of view on why it's important to begin with business outcomes in mind as we think about people function. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think you're right. I think more companies are thinking about talent as sort of core to their ability to compete and human capital as an asset um, in which they want to really invest and optimize. So that's good. Um, and there's a lot of new data and new techniques. And so the, the I guess the analytics are getting more exciting. Um, and so while that's really interesting and super exciting, um, you can get caught going down rabbit holes and finding yourself not actually serving your business or your talent, right? And one of the things I do is think of people analytics as sort of an implicit contract um, with employees, right? So you're using people's data, but you should really only use it when there is a decision to be supported a potential action to take, something that can improve their performance or experience or retention, right? And so the first work to be done is to tie some sort of people metric to an outcome that's core to the business strategic priorities, right? And, and you're right, that doesn't just have to be profit, right? It could be wanting your employees to have a certain type of experience. Um, but understand the people implications of the larger strategy. Right? And, and because ultimately, if you can't trace back what you're doing in your analysis uh, to a potential decision or an action that's important to the business, um, and therefore one the business might actually take, you're, you're essentially wasting everyone's time right? um, and your employees' data. So this doesn't mean that your analysis is, won't sometimes generate surprising or unexpected results, but uh, you need to find traction um, that will ultimately result in a change, a meaningful change. It, it is such a monumental point. Like, I just want to pause there for just maybe another couple of minutes and say, you, you know, th think about wasting time if you're not focused on business outcomes. How much is wasted? How, how, as I think about the last six years, I, I've seen change within organizations and um, you're in a nice to have, right? Optional kind of, hey, yes, here's a small budget, go play. Right, go play. We know it's not going to impact the business outcomes. We have about oh, this year we don't have a budget, right? So this is this is not necessary anymore. Um, so I, I love that. And and Sarah, as you and I went from talking about business outcomes, the next I, I think we, we we had really interesting moment where I started talking about marketing, comparing this to external to internal, and you started talking about personas, and off we went to compare those two worlds. I think it'd be awesome for the audience to hear from someone in, in your you know in your function who is looking at marketing and, and scratching your head, saying, "Hey, there's a lot that we can learn from this." Oh, absolutely. I, I'm humble enough to say that people analytics steals a ton from marketing. <laughs> Um, because, I mean, essentially it's all understanding people and their behavior with respect to a company, right? One is the provider of a product or a service and the other is the provider of employment, right? But you want to attract, you want to retain, you want to identify the moments that matter, send the right messages, identify which folks you want to grow, right? It's all extremely analogous. Um, and from an analytics standpoint, 
sometimes virtually identical, right? Um, and so I think when I think about this, maybe there are two things that I think about when I think about sort of archetypes or personas. One is thinking about it from sort of the analytical and intervention perspective, going back to what I said before, um, if people have different contexts and different things that are important to them, as an employer, you want to know that, right? If you want to change something, improve something, um, you want to know which change you can make and what lever, right, you can pull um, that will have the biggest improvement for that group of talent that you care about, right? And if that's meaningfully different for different archetypes, we want to know that to make sure we're pulling the right levers for them and essentially getting the biggest bang for a buck, right? And the second then becomes this communication with colleagues, right? So there's a lot going on. Mindshare is very difficult to come by. Um, And so if we want to connect with people, right, either to educate them or encourage them to change their behavior, then we need to make it resonate. We need to make it relevant to that person. So to do that, you need to know what they care about, right? And, and that might be different for different people at different points in, in their careers and, and in, in their lives, right? Um, so, so it's very analogous, I think, to the marketing use case as well. Totally. And, and if you asked the marketer, you know, maybe 30, 40 years ago, kind of describe your world, they would probably talk about, you know, content and, and images. And if you ask the marketer today to describe their world, that's still there for sure. But they're going to start by talking about data. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Data is experience. Data is empathy, data is understanding, data is context, data is relevance, and so on and so forth. So when you think about data, Sarah, in uh, from a people function perspective, what kind of data? So w- what I am seeing is um, a history where our internal data, employee data is siloed. And um, there are champions rising up to break those silos. Now, you got to be very careful. I'm not saying all data bring tra- m- track more data. There's a very clear line between too much. But I think we are way before the too much line, in my view. I think there's a lot we could do to better understand the experience so that we can improve, in your words, um, the outcomes. So what data would you want to bring together to look at? So I think cannot embark on this conversation without thinking about sort of the data governance, right? Um, And I think they're, while sometimes frustrating for me as an analyst, it's never a waste of time to be really careful and clear about your data governance, about why you are using the data that you're using, right? Because as we have more and more sensitive, candidly, um, information available to us, uh, it's ever more important to be super clear about what you're using it for and make sure that it is ultimately benefiting the employee as well, right? As a whole, as sort of a concept. Um, And I think if you are really careful and rigorous about that, then you can find yourself much more comfortable and and candidly, your employee is much more comfortable with using new and what were thought of as more sensitive types of data, right? For sure. Let's do an example together. And uh, you, you, you already know that I'm kind of a rebellious entrepreneur, so I'm just throwing ideas out and stress testing. Um, let's pick one audience, and you and I you know, agreed, and we've had Gallup on, and almost every conversation when I ask the question, of who's the first audience, is managers, right? We know managers define you know, 70 plus percent of the employee experience. 
And we just talked about personas. So when I asked the question of data, so, you know, when we look at the manager population, we can begin to slice and dice based on, so there could be a, what function are they in? Cool. Right. That's cool. That's a good starting point. How long they've been with a company. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, performance. Ooh, now, now it's getting interesting. High performer versus not high performer. Maybe there is a different approach to be taken. But if it gets more wild, are we looking at those that have one-on-ones with their folks? Are, is there collaboration data? Are they actively involved in social channels? Or are they withdrawing? How many meetings do they have? Um, again, governance is subject to um, being responsible. Being responsible and not, you know, big brother, but focusing on being relevant and applying and looking at context. How do you think about taking that persona further and further down from a manager to, hey, a subgroup? And how would you know? What kind of data are you looking at? Right. So I think this gets back to thinking about the outcomes that you think matter, right? So what is it that you want to see happen, right? Do you want to see those managers um, employees be retained? Do you want them to have a certain lifestyle? Um, what is it that you're looking for? Um, and so you can then separate managers by, you know, the distribution of the outcomes that you're interested in. Um, but in a lot of cases, especially in sort of a more complex knowledge type role, there are different ways <laughs> to have different outcomes, right? Which comes back to, if you want to think about behaviors, if you want to think about what their meetings look like, et cetera, et cetera. I think then it gets to, there might not be one way to get to this outcome, right? And so um, how do we provide guidance to managers to help them be more successful, right? But also make them aware that there are different ways to do a thing. Um, And so that's one of the ways we think about getting to those goals is this is all support for helping them do, do better, right? and be more successful ultimately. Um, And a lot of that does come down to behavior, right? Uh, And so the behavioral data, the meetings data, all of that becomes super relevant. And it's the most way, easy way to nudge and shape behavior. Love that. Oh, you went to nudges next. We're we're, we're going into nudging behavior for sure. Um, (laughs) And and just to kind of put a bow on on that topic, you know, just uh, if you think about retention as an outcome, you mentioned it, I I think that's top of mind for many organizations today. And then you think about managers as being the most important audience. I think that's everyone would agree with that. Then within that, you're exactly, you're spot on. Now it's okay. How do you understand how to improve it based on their experiences? And back to consumerization of the employee experience. And their context and limitations and personal preferences and desires. I think one thing that's helpful though is when you embark on a project like this is to not make it a one-way activity because your managers are your front line, right? Um, They are seeing the changes that are constantly happening first. Um, And they also tend to have a really good idea of what's gonna work and what's not. Uh, And so I think they're two things. One, you need your managers to be bought in. So it's really helpful to engage them when you're thinking about changes, but they can also provide feedback, right? On more context, uh, you know, the analytics doesn't tell the whole story. And so finding those really thoughtful 
managers to help provide more insight into what you're seeing in the numbers is super helpful. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. And, and although I've got a, about a hundred more questions there, I, th- I think it'd be good for us to keep moving into the, the nudge area, which is again, another area where you and I kind of really hit it off in the way we think about the future of people initiatives is this idea that everyone is simply too busy. I, I hear that from, I've heard that for the last six years, there's no leadership development initiative that I've ever been a part of or heard take place that didn't start with, oh, more, more to do. Well, what are you going to take off my plate? But then somehow these same folks are also customers of brands and find time for social media and um, nudging in their personal lives is working. What can we learn from it, Sarah? Yeah. So we're all drowning in information, right? In content, in data. So nobody's looking for more information. <laughs> like they're looking for insight. Um, but but I think even beyond insight, I think what's really helpful to people is providing just what what they should do, right? Recommendations of actions they can take to improve something they care about with enough contextual information that they trust the recommendation, right? That's what they want. Um, and so if relevant recommendations can be delivered at the right moment when the person cares and is about to make a decision or take an action, then it can A, cut through the noise, right? And B, really quickly and efficiently shape that behavior, right? It's easy. Do the thing that makes it easy for the person to do what you think is best. Um, And so this goes back to the marketing analogy here. So you can think about the journey of a consumer just as you can think about the journey of an employee. It's something I think about a lot, right? So joining, taking on a new role, coming back from leave. So you can push relevant information to those folks in those moments to help better support them and guide them. Um, But as we get more and more agile and have more and more information available to us, you can even think of journeys within shorter timeframes, right? Within a project with project-based triggers, right? For targeted support. Um, And this is sort of an ever evolving uh, sort of uh, data source and timeframe. That sentiment, managers want an action with enough context they trust, so they trust it. There's so much in there from, you know, context, right? Data, thinking about their experience, trust it. That is an interesting one, right? Because we know the current state of trust within organizations, especially when it comes to the manager populations. And for it to be an action that is bite-sized, that is actionable, that is a nudge, that allows it to be, you know, in the right moment. I, I love that you brought, you, you mentioned onboarding, you mentioned uh, project conclusion. Uh, remind of, uh, again, a few of the employee experiences from a manager perspective where we can meet them to support what's next. So I think when you think about the employee journey, th- there are a couple relevant change points, right? So joining, um, taking on a new role, candidly not being promoted, um, or coming back from a leave, right? Which is which is really common for folks. So those are fairly, um, for certain roles, fairly consistent uh, so that you can understand the context a bit better and have a greater chance of having the nudge resonate, right? And some of this can be choose your own adventure too. There are versions of the world where you can nudge and say, this is the right answer. Or you could say, what are the things that are most helpful for you? How can we help connect you? Um, 
but I think there are still very consistent uh, phases of a journey where you can be fairly confident that the information you're pushing is relevant. It's interesting. Uh, onboarding has come up many times, and uh, if Michael Watkins is uh, Michael Watkins is listening the the first ninety days. You know, it's just an amazing book, and and we've had a number of folks from EY and other organizations, and uh, we talk about promotions. You mentioned one that has not come up yet. That's interesting. Not being promoted. Right. That's got to be a, it's a time of reflection, right? It's a time of decision making for employees. Um, and so depending on your goal for that employee, it, it may make a lot of sense to engage them. And engage them, kind of choose your own journey. So just interesting to think about, you know, if you're not promoted, is it that you're maybe an opportunity for upskilling? Is it an opportunity for your growth? Or is it an opportunity for you to do a deeper reflection on what you're looking for from, you know, work life, whether you call it balance or, or some, you know, I think some folks have a chance. Uh, Good, good. With more and more project marketplaces too, it's more of, you know, what is it that you're looking for? Because there are more and more opportunities with these more agile organizations. Totally. So so you and I kind of arrived at an interesting point. We're talking about gi- giving actions and nudges that are really actions based on insights. And these insights, uh, we've already discussed data. So the, the question becomes, what is the maturity of the data engineering within, within organizations? And I'm seeing a full spectrum from some organizations that l- kind of listen to me and go, that, that makes sense. We should be thinking about it. All the way to we're releasing an episode later today um, where we found a first organization that shared their single source of truth. We have it. We have it. In fact, it's not just internal, it's porting in external data. They're really unifying the experiences. So in your perspective, where do you think the market is in in terms of data engineering maturity? Where do you think it's headed? Do you think it's going to be uh, accelerating in the coming years because it makes sense? That's the discussion we're having about the future of people initiatives. Or do you think it's going to run into headwinds? Uh, so I actually think data engineering is a pretty exciting field right now. And I, I do think that especially in um, organizations that are earlier in their people analytics journey, it is very, very often the roadblock, right? It is the unlock for organizations to get their data in a place where they can both do analytics on it and serve it to people for whom it's relevant, Right. Because and good data engineering is also really important for reporting, right? Um, and so I think as data engineering techniques evolve, we are able to ingest more data, analyze more data, but also serve data more frequently um, and then provide those more frequent refreshes to decision makers, right? As well as, you know, be the engine for those nudges. And this really is a game changer. You do need to think about the ultimate impact of all of these things, right? You need to provide insights as often as the leader needs to make a decision and and not distract them. But at the same time, being able to ingest and organize, analyze and serve this data, um, if used judiciously, is incredibly powerful. Um, And The second thing I think is more relevant for very big data sets, but as more and more data is able to be streamed, there is this sort of convergence of ML and engineering, right? And when there's lots of data and important changes are happening sufficiently frequently, uh, we may want to have more advanced analytics to identify the signals of interest in a more sophisticated way with more 
regular training and running of algorithms to help us do that. Um, so this kind of gets back to the first point again, right? We're going to have more data. We'll know more stuff. We'll have more signals. And we'll need to be more advanced about when and how we provide those insights to our decision makers. But it's an incredible opportunity for organizations who are really trying to shape more and more individual journeys for their employees. Totally. And let's let's talk about one of the more advanced ways to look at data, um, ONA, Organizational Network Analysis. I was introduced to it a few years ago, and I was like, yeah, that's fine. You know, it was a manual way to collect data. And then about a year ago, I saw Viva Insights, and I was able to, to see the influencers within the organization and how much time is being spent by certain audiences working weekends or responding real late. And uh, my mind was blown because ONA could be potentially a, a profound, profound uh, game changer for how you think about creating change within the organization. What's what's your take on ONA's applications as it, as it pertains to us moving the needle on the business outcome? Yeah, I think people thought originally of ONA as a way to understand the, the sort of structure of, of your organization, communication among your organization relationships, et cetera. Um, and it tended to be a bit more of like a static thing. Uh, I think... I think of it now just as a whole new way of analyzing and looking at data to gain insights. So it's really just a method of analysis that has really virtually endless use cases. And we're coming up with new use cases all the time, all, all the time, right? We still go through the same process of the analysis, right? What's the decision? What's the analysis we should do? Um, but ONA provides us with the ability to look at uh, the behaviors and relationships of people in a completely different way um, using graph. So we integrate the concept of ONA in our graph database into a ton of the analyses we do and are always, we continue to sort of shift some of the analyses that we used to do in a more relational way to a more ONA construct because it, it tends to provide much richer insights in a lot of different use cases. And in some way it represents organizations not being as structured and as linear as they perhaps once were, where it's, it's you know, it's ma- this manager with this group, that group, and, and they're siloed. That's not the case. In fact, we're looking for more and more f- to break out of those silos, and that's creating an entirely different way to think about your organization, not from a reporting perspective, but influence one perspective. Yeah, and, and in real time, right? So as, as project teams become more agile, um, and, and even the organization itself can change more rapidly and organically uh, it's really helpful to understand you, you know you can use it for things like who should be leading this group right either as a change manager and, or in a more um, formal role and that might be a, a group or a concept that evolves fairly organically right um, and it could be an input to thinking how collaboration should unfold but more on a real-time basis as uh, projects evolve and change. Um, So much less sort of a static snapshot now, but really a a way to understand much better how people are are working and collaborating. That's interesting on the collaboration side. uh, Something I've been thinking about is, uh, you know, you've got the influencers and there's that perspective, but there's an entirely other spectrum that's possible where you can see someone who's got no collaboration. Right. They're, they're right. on an island. And if you also apply the lens of they're all working virtually, whew, so you've got someone virtual 
with no collaboration potential in an island that dot has no lines to anywhere anywhere else from a collaboration perspective that's probably someone who's disengaged and is at risk you're, you're at risk of losing that person they're at risk of potentially mental challenges you're at home you're not talking to anyone supposedly you're working but are you so i i think it allows organizations now again could be misused there's governance questions well it's almost like we have to bring up both sides of this coin in almost every point we make right and you can identify the exceptional folks from whom you may want advice or to put in certain positions you could identify toxic folks as well um, to either shape their behavior or usher them out right um, but that those things have huge impact uh, for those who are touching quite a lot of employees. Um, the other piece around th- thinking about leaders, you can, you can understand who is supporting whom. You can also see when someone who is supporting a lot of folks in a meaningful way, in, in an organic, renewable way, leaves the company, right? And so you can see that potential contagion effect and proactively reach out to those folks to try to prevent additional attrition. So that there's, there's a ton of potential uses for such a thing. Just combining, you know, business outcome like retention with an audience managers with the idea of being able to nudge them with context. And that context is provided by ONA as just one off the inside engines. It's mind blowing to what's possible and and how you can create a positive change. And our topic today was how do you transform your people function? Well, this is one approach of how you can transform it. Uh, in some episodes, I get feedback like, Adam, where were you going with this? That That's the title. How did you, yes, my brain works a little bit like that, but you know, most times I end up where we're headed. But, but Sarah, you know, a question that I also am struggling with, you know, who owns this future of people initiatives? Who owns it? So we talk about um, an external front, who owns the brand? from a customer experience. Oh, easy, CMO, right? And then we ask that same question internally and whoa, we've got a series of folks. And I'm not looking for you to say it's one function, but maybe in broad strokes, as you're seeing the change and more care being applied toward the internal audiences to catch up to the care of the external audiences. How are you seeing it shape up? What partnerships are you seeing come together to transform the people function? So I think um, this might be overly simplistic, but uh, looking at the people analytics experts, the people analytics experts do run the risk of being siloed, right? So they need to understand the business. So you need really strong business partners to make sure that any change um, that you make is integrated into the business will be received, right? Where you can integrate your changes into like actual change management in a strategic way, super important. Uh, as well as technology, right? Technology, the engineering, the reporting capabilities, all of the infrastructure that enable the analytic contact with actual humans <laughs> is deeply important. Um, and it's easy to run away with ideas for change management without thinking about the infrastructure or investing sufficiently in the infrastructure to make that experience good. Uh, so the, all of those things are absolutely vital to transforming a people function. You need people who really deeply understand all of them. Personally, I think depending on the context of the company and the changes you're willing to make, anyone can own it, right? Uh, I do think it's possible as long as there is deep respect and partnership among those different groups. Um, but But the right answer will absolutely depend on the organization and the change they're trying to make. 
Yeah, I think that 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 explains kind of where I started. That my brain is is frying as I'm having these conversations, <laughs> just because of you're hundred percent right. I'm running into well, I'm not the CEO. I am the chief experience officer, and and this is my like that's one example to the CHRO. I'll take to the CMO who says no, no, I got it. I, I'll own the both brand, customer and employee experiences, not the compliance, not the policies, but the learning and development, things like that. Then I see GE's um, CMO, Linda, interviewed her for Inc. years ago, and she took on the VP of learning and development. I was like, that is fascinating. That That's fascinating. So, Sarah, you think it depends on your organization, depends what makes sense, depends on kind of how the functions operate. There'll be different leaders that are going to emerge. Um, what, what advice would you give to our audience? And remember, the audience are agents of change. They're looking to to continue to push the envelope of where the, what the future of people initiatives looks like within their organization. Give them some advice. Uh, so I think two things, um, know what you care about, right? Spend the time to really understand what you care about. It's a lot harder than you think, um, but it will save a massive amount of time and heartache <laughs> going forward when you have to make tough, tough decisions if you really talk to leaders and understand what you care about. Uh, I think the other thing is making sure that you are open to learning from different experts, right? Everything that we talked about today requires quite a lot of collaboration between people of very different backgrounds, perspectives, and often personal goals in order to pull these things off. Uh, so invest in understanding those other functions and invest in those relationships uh, so that you can actually move forward and create like a cohesive, cool, innovative product at the end of the day. Awesome. Love it, Sarah. I, I appreciate you bearing with me being a little, you know, kind of scattered this morning. Not at all. Super fun. Thank you for your time, for your brilliance. I hope this is just a step one for you to, to be a part of our movement. Wonderful. Would love to. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. Thank you, Sarah. Over now. Bye.